We all learn the hard way, you know, we all make mistakes when it comes to the development world. It's just a matter of realizing and understanding, you know, where have you gone wrong and, you know, readjusting the pathway, right? From your perspective, Verbi was achieved by, you learned a lot from the... Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. The person that I have today with me is a friend a client, a brother that I've known for almost one and a half, two years now. We have come and we've talked about, you know, how our lives um, has evolved over, I would say, 10, 20, 30 years since the childhood. Drum rolls very quickly, Mr. Rex Pangan. Rex, how are you today? Uh, good, thanks, Mark. I'm Mark, and um, thank you for the introduction, man. Really appreciate that. And um, thank you for inviting me here to let me share my experience, my, my journey, and the mistakes I've made and also my achievements. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Definitely. it. And how's your day been? How's, how's things? How's business? Let's start there. You know, you run a very successful electrical company called Electrics, right? Yeah, look, the, the business is uh, going great. It was a bit quiet at the start, but in the construction industry, it's normally quiet start of the year uh, and it slowly, slowly picks up. Gets, it'll get, I know it'll get busy closer to July because a lot of this, um, a lot of commercial Buildings, they have a budget every financial year and they want to use it up. <laughs> so they normally leave all the upgrades and all that to last. So I'm sure we're going to be busy for the next few months, which we already are anyway. But, yeah. And look, I mean, I am always intrigued and um, it, I personally aspire, you know, where you were versus where you've come, you know, being an entrepreneur versus the first time that I met you, you know, you were still working for someone and now you have a massive thing that works for you. Uh, talk to me a bit about your background, you know, talk to me a bit about, you know, who you were, what you were doing, how did you transform your life from PAYG to becoming a business owner and a developer, right, per se, you know, talk to me a bit about that. Yeah, so everything started when I was 22 years old. That was when, you know, I started looking at properties. You know, I wanted to be um, financial free by the age of 27 and 20, uh, 22 years old, I already had about about close to $50,000 savings, I said, look, I'm going to, well, property was the only thing I could see me get to get there. So I started looking at 22 years old. Yeah, for about my first property that I bought was actually 24 years old. It took me two years to find my first property. <laughs> so reason being is because after six months of looking, I, I've come across the, the concept of developing properties. And that's all I focused on after six months looking uh, for properties and for about one year and a half I kept getting beaten by by developers and, and people with money because you know I was you know I was 22 years old I didn't I didn't have many much savings and yeah so you know I'd go to I'd go to a property and you know I like it and it's got a big backyard and then yeah people would just outbid me or yeah yeah. So, and what attracted you to property development, knowing that you know you're still a PAYG income earner? What really attracted you there? I had an idea that it was going to be hard, and to me, anything that was, you know, at that time, I I thought anything that was hard to do was the most rewarding. Which I learned now that it's not always the case. That it's not always the hardest <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's the most rewarding. But um, I also like the concept of um, when I, you know I look at something and. I can see what it can be, yeah, and then working towards, you know, making it, making that reality, and seeing that, seeing that in reality, 
touching it you know it's it, i think that to me that was that's that was art to me you know yeah and it's it's interesting i think a lot of people do comprehend that right i, I think there is a stereotype or stigma around you know the most complex problems gets you the most money right yes but it's it's not true you know i think sometimes you know the easiest development sites makes you the most money it's just a matter of how do you cut and slice the cake right it's just you know that creativity that you bring out to the deal i think you know some of the most complex sites could actually sometimes make you nothing right so i, I completely agree and <laughs> i guess all throughout this years I, le- I learned that that you know it's not always the hardest one and it's not always the that always the more the better <laughs> yes 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 it's it's all about uh the the complex strategies or the creative strategies that you bring in um into a lot of these you know development sort of things yeah and look and how did you transform you know talk to me a bit about the earlier struggle you know before you met us your investment journey you know your transition from PAYG to an entrepreneur and running a business you know be it the business of property or even your own business you know how did that transition happen so So yeah, I was what happened is it was actually the properties that made me get into the business of electrical. So what actually happened is so, so I bought my first property at 22, I mean 24. And then um that that property I took me two years to renovate because I I bought I bought a property that was um that had squatters living in there. So it took you know it was really run down. Took me two years to renovate that. Yeah. And then after that I said, you know, I'm going to reward myself so I did a bit um traveling um on and off around Australia and then I bought my second property at after that during covid and pretty much that property during covid is when I started the the time plan or the time the time planning of the costings for these two properties because I was going to subdivide uh, the Werribee and Seaford all at the same time yeah and from when I did that time plan on the Microsoft Excel sheet I I came across a big uh, about 8 months later I saw the financial stress I was going to be in and i said i was earning good money then too and i was like even this is not enough i said i need to, i need a second income and and i was like you know what i'm an i'm an electrician when i start a business something on the side you know yeah so yeah like I, while i was working for that uh, for my employer i i started the business on the side like i was doing all the paperwork all the schooling cuz i had to get electrical contractors license so i had to go to school for that yeah i was doing that on my days off while while i was at work i was doing that I was fortunate enough to to be working at a place where if all the machines are running um we had some downtime you know and I could relax or I could choose to work on work on the business and that's what I did so got the business up and running a few months later and then I started advertising in pages like high you know in places like high pages facebook so I stumbled upon this Filipino community on facebook and I advertised myself there and the thing is i didn't even notice when i first started but there's only like three electrical filipino contracts in melbourne wow and there are three or four and people seem to like my work there and then it was just from there on i never had to advertise it was word of mouth so i was doing i was doing my electrical business on the side while working for an employer and so for one year for more than one year one, about one year i was working about I'd say 120 hours a week. Wow. Yeah, so I was full-time in both on both of those places. So when I say 120 hours, I I'm talking about like paperwork after work. So yeah. I would work I would work for this employer. I used to do day shift and night shift, 12 hours. So on my day shift, I would go 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
And then when I get home, I'll do paperwork, get, uh, you know, invoicing, quoting and all that kind of stuff. And then on my days off, I'll actually um, do the physical work for my, for, for my customers. Yeah. And then on night shift, you know, I would work from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then when I finish, sometimes when I, when I would finish the, um, my shift, I would actually get on the tools for myself and then work until lunchtime or do paperwork until lunchtime. So, yeah, I did that for one year and, you know, I, I managed to build a good amount of clients, uh, rep- repetitive clients, word of mouth, consistent, very consistent. Um, so I was booked there for one month yeah. at a time. I did that for one year. And then what happened then is, because um, it was during COVID this time, what happened then is the, the government um, released a new rule for mandatory vaccine. And, you know, I have, look, not many, not many people know this about me, but I have a blood condition that's prone to blood clotting. And I told my employer my condition and I said, look, I have this health issue. And I, from what I've seen in some results of people who's been, who's taken the vaccine, there were, there, there was results of blood clotting on some of them. And they pretty much told me to go to the doctors, get exemptions. And, and that's what I did. I went to the doctors. I went to multiple doctors. And there was a common answer that really made me think about what was happening because, because you know, so on, on the media, they'll say, you're, I mean, on the news, they'll say you're allowed for exemption. But then when I talked to the doctors, I told them, look, this is my condition. Has there been enough research like for long-term, long-term risk or short-term risk that could affect me if I went to um, take the vaccine? Like, could it affect me? And they said, look, we don't know the answer, but I can't give you an exemption. So a couple of them said that to me and they said, we can't give an exemption because I could lose my job. That's what they said. They said, oh my, my they could, they could suspend my license. Yep. Yeah. So from this point on, you know, I, I had to, I had to make a decision um, because at that time that, that mandate was, it meant I was going to lose my job and had, I had so much things going on that I planned for, you know, I planned big things. I, you know, I was, oh, a lot of things to lose. Definitely. Um, during that time and so I, I made a decision I said do I take my do I you know my the way I saw it was do I take my risk with with the vaccine and my blood condition not going well or do I look at do I take my chances with with the current virus and look I saw the percentage of the people dying from the virus and it was it was very small for my age group yeah and at the same time too I found out that it wasn't really preventing the the spread so um, I said, well, I'm not really hurting anyone. But on the other hand, there was, no, there was no percentage to even look at for people who had my blood disorder and was taking the vaccine. So I made the decision to, to get fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I got fired. <laughs> but before I got fired, I made sure I'd get one more property. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this, yes. Is when I, yes. this is when we spoke Moxin. And, um, Definitely. Definitely. We, you know, we, we were talking already before that. Yeah. But during all that, we were, we were actually already talking. We already found a, a you got, you guys already found a property for me. It was so quick, actually. Yeah. Let's talk about something, you know, I just want to take a very quick pause here. What's important is two, two key things that I'm, I'm listening here, right? Yeah. Why, you know, we've, we've talked about this side hustle and why is it so important? The single income dependency that a lot of people have in their life is crazy, right? Because anything can happen during r- life. And how do you turn this around and how do you use that adversity as your competitive advantage and move further out and further up in the life? I think that, you know, that's an amazing story and it always inspires me. 
And every time I see people turning to entrepreneurship, I always feel that there is always a trigger. There is something in the background that has happened that has made them go into this direction. And the silver lining to this is that, oh, you know, they should have done this, you know, six years ago, five years ago, because they are so good at it, right? And so it always amazes me how much people don't give themselves the true credit to what, you know, they can truly achieve uh, when they can really burn the boats and move in the direction that they truly enjoy and truly love. You know, this is where the choice and the freedom truly comes in. Talk a bit about, uh, you've, you've talked a bit about your Seaford project and your Verbi project and, you know, talk to us about a bit of, of the experience in there. You know, uh, we'll talk about the property acquisition as well. We talk about, uh, you know, the stuff that we did together or we're doing together. But, you know, you've used um, uh, some help in, you know, acquiring that Seaford property as well. Um, what was the experience there? Where was the stumbling blocks? You know, what was the learnings from there, you know? Yep. So the issues I encountered with those two projects, like I'll talk about Werribee first. Werribee, I, you know, I went in there with the renovation side. I'm, you know, I'm, I got through that with, you know, helping my friends, helping me with teach, teach, teaching me the trade. Whereas the development side, I had no one. I had no one teaching me these things. And um, I've had to, you know, join all the Facebook groups, which I actually, that's where I found you. And I've had to do a lot of my own risk the best thing about taking risks while you're young is you can recover. Yes. So, so I took a lot of risks and I was ambitious. That was my problem with, with Werribee. I saw where the, where I was located and I saw I was next to the free. I was in front of a main road. I was close to the commercial zoning. So I thought I would try to try to build triple story houses. Yeah. So I could put more and which I I said earlier, I, I learned that not, it's not always the case. The more is not always better. Yeah. So what I, what I learned was by build, by planning for triple stories, you limit yourself to the buyer's percentage, the population percentage to buy triple stories. Not, yeah. not many people want triple stories. Also, what I learned was the construction cost of a triple story was so much more higher than a double story. Yeah. So even though I was putting more, my cost for expenses was a lot more. Yeah. Which actually was a lot less than building double stories, just four double stories. Yeah. Because I was t- I was trying to do five five triple stories there. Yeah. So these were the issue for Werribee was which is my ambitious and not enough knowledge, and uh, not enough guidance, not enough people around me in the same field. I couldn't ask no. I, I had I personally did not know anyone that was in the developing. Yeah. So I had to I had to really um, and do my research. It comes down to numbers, right? I think we we all learn the hard way. You know, we all make mistakes when it comes to the development world. It's just a matter of realizing and understanding, yeah. you know, where have you gone wrong and, you know, readjusting the pathway, right? From your perspective, Verbee was achieved by, you learned a lot, you know, from the renovation that you did on Verbee. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful house. We'll share some pictures for the viewers and the listeners as well to see what, is ama- what an amazing job a, a 22 or a 24-year-old has done to a house that was looking like nothing to a house, <laughs> you know, that that just came out amazing, right? So... You know, that just in itself, you know, a lot of equity being built up there. Yes, you know, the plans didn't work. And yes, you know, that site is there. But I'm sure, you know, based on the locations, and we've had that discussion before, that that place, you know, ultimately will do well because of its its own location. Yes, you know, the plans don't work. The important thing here is, though, is the point that you make, right? That it's not always about, you know, building more or building high or building big, right? It's all about the product market fit. It's understanding what a client wants, what a client would pay, and the fastest time to get in yes. and get out, right? 
because time is money. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, you know, identifying who your market is, you know, are you selling it to the investors? Are you selling it to the owner occupiers? Owner occupiers would be more emotional. And so you would have to think about the design in a much more holistic sense. Investors, they don't care whether you have, you know, golden taps and, you know, uh, gold seats and, you know, they don't care about that. They all care about the returns. And so what is the minimalistic product that you can get out there to basically flip and sell and come out? So look, amazing learnings. And again, you go to school um, and you pay a fees and you learn. Uh, this is still an asset, still making you money. So, you know, I, I always say see to the positive side and you're, you're still making money on the other end. So, okay. So, yeah. and what, what you said just now is, is, you know, this is why I can't like when, when I first talked to you, which is I, I really like got along with you and I knew I was in the right path. The exact same things you, you said just now is what I used to tell my friends or friends of people who asked me like, why, why did you not just pay people to do, to, to renovate that property? Why why don't you just hire contractors to do it? I said, oh, I wanted to learn. I said, I said, how long does it take you to go to uni? I said, it takes you about four years. He said, that took me about 18 months to finish that. Yes. I said, how much do you pay? You know, you pay all this money, right? Yeah, like, cost me money. So, and I wanted to learn. I said, what's the difference? You know, I was, that's the how I would put it uh, to why when people ask me, why did you do that, you try to do that yourself? But I, yeah, a lot of friends helped me at the start, but, People get sick of, you know, helping someone after a few months. So then that's when I realized I was, I was on my own and I have to finish this on my own. Yes. And if I don't do anything that it was not going to fix itself. Yes. Yes. No, definitely. And talk about the seafood. I thought, I think seafood is an interesting one, right? Easement in the middle of the property, that property goes through town planning. The council doesn't like the plans. The architect lets you down. You know, everything under the sun that you could really think of was happening on that property when we first met at that time, right? So, yeah, so with, with the Seaford property, that was a bit of a, that was probably the project that's let me down the most because when I did the time plan of all my projects, I, I, I thought that was going to be the fastest one to finish and I was going to use the funding to fund the other projects. So there was so much pressure on me to finish that one first. Yeah, because at the same time too, I thought as that as the less risk because I wasn't demolishing anything. Unlike wherever it was, I was demolishing the existing. Yes. So this one, I was keeping the the front and keeping the backyard, selling the front. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, selling the front, keeping the backyard. That was my plan. I thought that was gonna e- be easy to to do. But the issue I had there was again lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge, and a bit of bad luck. Because what happened is we submitted the the first town plan growings, and what happened was. The council, that the person I was dealing with, the council during that time, you know, they got it through all the way to advertising stage. It got past the advertising stage. I had one complaint, but we fixed that. It was just a fence issue. That was easy. And then what happened is we got through that and we were waiting for an approval for town planning. Two months later, they said, yeah, we're going to give it to you soon. We're just finalizing a few things. The third month after waiting, after the advertisement got removed, my architect called me and said, look, um, we've got two choices here. So, you know, and he sounded sad. And because uh, he's, he's a good friend of mine too. So he was, he was, you know, he felt let down. He felt like he let me down in a sense. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the architects and it's the, the developer's uh, responsibility to do due diligence as well. Yeah. So what happened was he said to me, you have, we have two choices. We either take the Savika or we start all over again. What happened was in the council, the person that was looking after my file and council has quit. They quit their job and another person took over. 
that person that took over saw my drawings and he found more than 10 things wrong with it. He found a lot of things that weren't, weren't going to go past. So he pretty much gave us that ultimatum. Yep. And what, what he then said was pretty much the same thing as my, what my architect said. And I chose to start all over again because I, I've never take, I've never done recut and I always got told that it takes a long time. Yes. And that by the time you actually, if you just started a new plan, which kind of cost you a bit more extra, that you could, like you, your court case could still be going. Yeah. So I chose to do that. And then, but then what happened is few, a few months later, the person who took over my case also quit. <laughs> yes. So then they got, I remember that. <laughs> so we, we were talking about all these things, you know, how to, you know, how to fix it. And then we actually submitted it and then he quit. And then what happened then is he, the third person that took over, he was a bit higher up in the, in the, in the department, which is because I asked, I asked directly, I said, can you put someone that's less likely to, to, to quit this time? And I said, <laughs> and to handle my case and, you know, someone who's a little bit more knowledgeable, that was my mistake because it got given to the team leader. Yeah. Uh, team leader had, had to handle his team and he had to handle my case and a few big other cases. Now I was, you know, just a kid with, you know, not much, um, let's just say I didn't really stand out to him that much. So he pulled my case as priority. So we were back and forth with him for nine months. Yeah. After that, we submitted the, the new plans and it was only about last month that my property got into advertising again. Yeah. Finally, some good news. Yeah. So two weeks, two weeks ago, um, it got removed from advertising and now we're just waiting on the council. So, but before that we had issues with the, the design. Yeah. Before we even submitted that last design. And it was thanks to your architect. He gave my architect a, a different perspective on how to do it. Yeah. And it's a beautiful property. Like I, I've seen Seaford. It's a, it's a beautiful property. You know, my personal feeling was that, of course, you know, you were inexperienced going into this. But the person who was helping you at the start, you know, he was an experienced person and he should have given you a bit of guidance in relation to, you know, doing splitters. Splitters are truly you know, very quick in and out project where you can save the house at the front and build one or two at the back. So it's beautiful designs. It's just, as you said, you know, it's a bit of bad luck uh, and it's a bit of inexperience, but again, hey, it's a learning, right? Yes. And so, you know, fingers crossed, you know, you would make some decent coin, you know, out of, coming out of that project and that property. Uh, and and I'm glad, look, I mean, you know, we could provide some value into the project. You know, we have a few projects in uh, near your site as well, in Frankston as well. So I was, yeah. you know, quite, conscious that you know uh it's the, the relatively the same council so we can definitely you know share a few thoughts and you know do some collaborations talk to us about you know oh, the overall experience you know you being with us you know how does that has helped you you know create the business you know how has that helped you in Adelaide? you've never invested in interstate before you know how has that helped you you know direct and channel more your thinking in relation to long term well yeah, so bef before I before I met you, Moksa, I thought I knew what to look for. And the thing is, I was just really guessing. Like, I think like most people, like, oh, this is, they're building, you know, something here. This is a good place to invest it, you know. People look at this one portion of the criteria you look at, where you look at so many other things. You know, most people just look at that one thing. That's who I was. You know, I was looking to Geelong because everyone said Geelong's going to be the next big city, but the, the, the duration it takes to, 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 to make Geelong the next big city was going to be, what, 10 years? Yeah. You know, a long time. So, you know, I'm, you know you'll know, you be sitting there with, you'll be sitting there waiting, but when it does happen, the, the, the smart investor would have made, you know, millions in that time, 10 years time frame. 100%. When you gave me the choices of Adelaide Interstate, I never 
thought to go that far because well, first of all, I had no contacts. I, I don't know anything about interstate. Well, you did. What, what made you reach out to us, Rex? Talk to a bit about that. I, I remember talking to you for so long, you know, you're almost like a younger brother to me. But, you know, what made you reach out? What was that one thing? I'd be like, oh, I want to talk to this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe, believe it or not, I don't know if, sure if I told you this, but I've been stalking you for like years before I saw you. <laughs> oh, really? We were approaching, man. Like, I, I saw you a lot on the developers page on Facebook. Yeah. Because that's where I, I was getting a lot of answers from. Yeah. I would post, I would post things to, to developers to answer me. And you've, I think you've answered a couple of my, my questions once. But what made you stand out from everyone was... You were giving answers. Most, most agents or buyers agents or most developers wouldn't give this kind of answers. Um, so you were giving answers for free. And, you know, I, I, I only like dealing with people who I know have, have a good heart. And I saw that in you and I said, like, this guy's a good, good buy. That's when I approached you. Look, at that time, I didn't, I wasn't really sure if you were in the buyer's agency, to be honest. I just, I just, I, yeah, I just approached you for some advice and then, yeah, I didn't know that. And then, but yeah, so I saw your knowledge. I saw, I saw how, how you were treating people who were just normal people like me. You know, you, you weren't there to try to make uh, money and you were just there to help out. 100%. 100%. I mean, I have a big belief that everyone has their own why and, you know, you are here to provide value. And uh, people who would choose to work with you would ultimately work with you regardless. And so I'm a big believer of that. So, look, I mean, again, you know, I'm humbled, you know, you sharing this story, but, you know, ultimately it, it's, it's quite interesting that you know, people who know us in a certain niche thinks of us as only buyers agents and people who knows us as developers thinks of us as only developers and people who knows us in the tax and SMSF and business structure side of things only thinks that that's what we do. And so yes. I think, you know, I must call out the, the marketing team that they are not doing that a good job, you know, making sure that people know. <laughs> uh, this, this, this was, you know, a long time ago now. Nah. So, but I, I had no idea you, you, um, you were into buyers agency and it. You know, which which is a good thing I reached out because during that time I was looking in Geelong. Yes. Yeah. And we took you to Adelaide. Then How you did took that to property Adelaide. go? Oh, the one in Adelaide, the one you got for me, it's by far the best performing property I have. I only have four, but that out of out of all the properties I have, that is the best performing one. Why? Because when you asked me for my what my goals were, and you asked me my circumstance, you know, this is this is again why I think set you guys different from uh, other agents out there is because when I approach agents before, they they will look at my circumstance, but they will just ask me, like, what's your buying capacity? And, you know, and, they, and some of them will try to max that. Or some of them, you know, all right, yeah, this is a good project. You can, you know, there's a lot of um, profit in this. But what they don't look at is big, the overall picture on can, can, can Rex still acquire more properties after getting this one? And, you know, let's just say that one gets put on hold or he never develops it. Can he just buy normal ones after? And a lot of people's borrowing capacity gets maxed out because because of the properties they they buy, and that's what I learned from you. You you look at positive game properties that are you know have have good capital growth, and I never knew they existed. I thought you could only get that from from apartments, the high capital. I mean the the high um the high rental yield. I know that I know apartments are you know I, I thought you had to sacrifice either either high rental yield or capital growth. Yeah. And where you, you found properties that are borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it really amazed me when I, when I, when you showed me these things that, you know, me, I do my own research. I do my own research. When you showed me that, I looked and, you know, the, the properties you're looking at, I looked at the rent. I'm like, oh, wow. Like there's areas like this. Yeah. And yeah, so that property at the moment is, 
you know, like we, we bought that for 550. We're getting 500,000, I'm um, $500 uh, rent on that. I, I bought my Warby property for 550, you know, a while back. I'm only getting 350 rent out of that. Yeah. Um, so that's a good comparison, I guess. The same block, like, like my, my property in Warby is 900 square meters. Uh, the one in Adams is about eight, 800, 850. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Thousand square meters. Th- no, th- sorry, that was that was actually no nine nine. Sorry, that's nine hundred as well. So it's a very yes. good comparison, actually. Those yes, two. Yes, it's a very big property. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> yeah, and you took it one step further, right? You know, we ended up buying the next block, and you know, uh, that was an amazing story. I still I still remember. You know, you reaching out to me and say, "Hey, my neighbor is selling. Should I buy?" And you know, talk to us a bit about that. I think you know that basically transformed the property from a three unit site to what a six unit site now, and you're you know, basically doing a land sub t- typically there, right? Yeah. So, you know, like it was, it was crazy when then, so I bought that property and I thought I maxed out, well, I, I didn't max out my bar capacity at that time from the Adelaide one, the first one we bought, but then lucky I have a, a really good broker and, you know, Rob and what happened is my next door neighbor put up the property and sell. I was looking at it and I was like, I better, I better talk to Moxin first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I told him, Moxin, what do you reckon? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I said, but before I even spoke to you, I spoke to Rob already. I said, um, Rob, can we do this? If if I was talk, if I was talk to Moxin for his advice and Rob said, I, we can do it. We'll find a way. And so that's when I spoke to you. And, you you know, you're very honest with me. You said, Rex, the interest rates are going to go high. You said it to me, you said, but. You don't look at, like, you're buying this for, you're not getting a discount from buying this, but you're buying it for what you, the options you can do with it. So having a side-by-side gives you option to, to take some land from this place and give it to the, the next door neighbor to be able to subdivide it to, to what you want, which is what we're doing now. We took some land from that new property, mixed it with the, with the first one we bought and we were able to subdivide it into four. So you gave me the facts and it was my, it was up to me to take action. Yeah, and so you know these these kind of things I never had. I didn't have anyone to to ask guidance for, and it's a it's a good project, right? You're still you know looking at two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand quite easily. You know if you do it well, if you do it in the good market, you know you're still saving the house. You're still creating more cash flow. I think you've, you've changed the granny flat and uh, and creating that into a much more um, cash flow positive side as well. So you have done really well in being creative on the side as well. You've taken it to the next level. So. Yeah, so that that was that was good in that sense where yeah, like the second property had an option for uh, it was a bungalow there, and when I first saw it, I said you know we could we could turn this to a, a single bedroom granny flat. Yeah, so in that sense too, like I can choose to sell the first property we bought with the plans of permanent and pay off pay off the next neighbor, and then you know that'll be producing around eight hundred dollars a week income with with the granny flat and the and the existing house there. So yeah, there's a lot of options, and that's that's what I like. Definitely. With the developing side, you you, can, you have so many options. To and I mean, you know, there were developers drooling and fighting over that piece of land, isn't it? Because, and you had the perfect advantage because you own the next door property. And so you could always be better against these, you know, developers, right? Because while the land was selling at 1,000, 1,200 per square meter in these areas in Adelaide, it's only like, I think, 15, 20 kilometers from the radius. Yes. I think that the school is the best school. This, the zone is the best zone. And, you know, people really fight because there is not a lot of land available in the area so you know that's what i do strongly believe that you would do seriously well in some of those pockets so yeah and like just to give people a bit of perspective like on how good that first property you got for me in Adelaide was we bought that for 550 the next door neighbor put up 
similar land size and the house similar house size as well. We bought the second one for 740. Yes. Yeah. So in that, that time frame, and the, the land size is like 100 square meters difference. 550, next, next door neighbor, seven, 740, the next year, that's 200 grand difference. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I mean, I think it made sense for us to pay that premium because we could combine the two together and make it a much bigger site, right? I think no one, so while there were other developers still ready to pay that money, even making, you know, that deal work because it was a corner lot you could do for there, uh, you know, combining the two lots together just opens the world of opportunities, right? I think, you know, when we spoke to the architect, we spoke to the land surveyor, you know, I was just so surprised as to how creative you were working, you know. I remember giving you a plan and you'd be like, no, nah, let's do it that way. And I was like, wow, this is just epic. This is awesome. This is very good. Yeah, well, it's crazy. Like, you know, it's sometimes like I, in high school, I was, maths was, you know, I wasn't very good at maths. But when it comes to like the shaped subjects, you know, square meters, and I always had that interest in those things. You know, I guess that's, maybe that's the reason why I like developing, <laughs> the developing side of chopping, chopping squares. Definitely, definitely. Um, last but not the least question, what does the long-term plans look like? You know, I can talk about our long-term plans, but you need to tell me what your long-term plans look like. Look, my plan at the moment is to focus on finishing these projects I have, moving in, because all at the moment, they're all under my name. And I want to move them to trust, uh, you know, the leftover properties that I'm going to keep. And then I want to I wanna get into different types of development, because so far, all those four properties, they all got different types of developing so one's dem- demolition one's keeping the backyard the other one's side by side the other one's a granite flat so I want to learn as many types of development as I can long term so I guess the next one will be um, doing rooming houses with you and just you know learning that concept I want to do small uh, small tower apartments slowly lead to high rises you know I'd love to do join, join a team that does high rises 100% but also uh, my ultimate goal is to to bring the, the knowledge the wealth and the experience I have back to Philippines, and I'd like to do resorts. I know we're we're high in tourism, we're, and I wanna use my developing knowledge to develop my country. You know, amazing. Um, so That's amazing. I would like, you know, my my ultimate dream is to to develop it into a first world country. One day. That's amazing. That's and look, I mean, knowing your why is very very important, but is is the key, right? I think. That provides the fuel to your ambitions. That provides the fuel to you know you making right choices and yes. the freedom of choice in in the future. Now, parting words, you know, last words. You know, what is the advice that you're going to give to 22, 23 year old? You are what twenty seven right now. Nah. <laughs> I'm I'm thirty one now. Thirty <laughs> nine. You okay. met me when I was you met me when I was twenty twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So thirty one, still very young, right? You know, like you're still what. You know, almost six, seven years younger than me. So the world is there. You know, um, there's heaps of stuff. You know, uh, that you have done, you've already achieved. And so, if you if you roll yourself back uh, and you look at you know twenty five, twenty four year olds or twenty six year old, what what is the one key advice that you would give to them and say, look, do this, and I think you would be okay. What would you say? I would tell this, and I always do anyway. I always tell people, you know, learn how to say. Because your habits when you're young, in your early 20s, or even when you're younger and early 20s, will carry you through later on in life. So learn how to save because that, that creates discipline. When you're disciplined in that, you know, you will do well. I would also tell them to focus on doing good things. I'd say that 
good things lead you to good people. It will lead you to to the right people to help you on. You, there's a lot of people that would a lot of money, bad intentions. You don't want to be in that group. Who you are, who you become, will be the people you'll be around with. So, do good things. You know, learn how to save. When you're saving, you're focused on surviving. But I guess there's only a certain point when when you come across a hurdle. The first thing to do is, a, let's say, a financial hurdle. The the first thing to do is to to save. That's that's part of it. But what people don't forget is you need to be the offense too, where you need to start thinking, how how else can I make more money? You know, not just saving money, but also making money. Because when you start thinking like that, it changes who you are. You know, you don't just look at yourself always in defensive, saving, saving, saving. So focus on investing and focus on earning more. Because when you earn more, you're actually changing who you are in a sense. There's no doctor, there's no anyone that are successful yeah. that came from accident. Like, you know, so you're changing who you are by changing your, your goals and um, the way you're thinking. Beautiful so. words. Beautiful words, Rex. Um, I think I strongly agree to all that you're saying. I think it's important that a lot of people, I find a commonality that, you know, those first three to five years are the crucial. And, you know, the harder you work, the more hassle you do, the more you save and the more the right decisions you make, it take it does wonders for you. Yeah. for the next 30, 40, 50 years and brings you closer to your retirement goals, right? Yes. I think I see people who are, you know, living their life to the fullest and that's the choice that they make, you know, in the first 20, 30 years. And then I feel that, you know, they usually follow very poor retirement. And so it's a very commonality. And so these are definitely golden words. You know, I always say this to my own self as well, that, you know, I think one of the good things that I did when I was 20, between like, you know, 18 to 25 was I did three jobs. I saved like crazy. I didn't buy a Subaru Impreza that I was or WRX that I wanted to buy. Yes. I bought my first Omega 21 and I think that is what has helped me yeah. where I am today. And so, you know, it's it's some beautiful words. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's all right. And I, like, I think like going back to that, it's if you don't know how to save and you end up becoming a higher earner in the future, then you just be spending it. Definitely. That's why I think discipline is actually saving. I put that first because that's the foundation of it all. Very important. You can be a you can be a very successful person, but if you don't know how to save, it will go nowhere. Definitely. And the important thing here is this, right? If you can't save on a lower salary, do you think that you're going to really save on a big salary? Yes. I you know, I was an apprentice making thirteen dollars but I was nine dollars to thirteen dollars per hour. And I managed to save fifty fifty K by the age of twenty two. So and look, I'm 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 believer I'm a believer in God and there's they're saying that if you can't handle something so small you know, God won't give you something bigger. Definitely. 100%. 100%. Look, I mean, anyone listening and viewing, you know, Rex does run an electrical company and, you know, he's an amazing electrician. He services all of Melbourne. So if you want to reach out to him, you know, Rex, you know, just a very quick shout out as to, you know, what is the company, email address and the name or the website that you want to call out for the show today. Yeah, so that's my that's my company logger, um, Electrix, Electrix BTYLTD. Um, you'll find, our website is electrex.net.au and my uh, you can contact directly 0434 050 319 or at rex at Amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to us today. This was Rex, um, a friend, a brother, a client. If you have any questions, comments or anything in relation to, you know, what he's doing or what we are working on together, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. If you have any stories to share together, you know, with, you know, how the mindset change has worked for you, you know, please do join in the comments as well. 
Uh, keep smiling, stay safe, keep investing. This is Moss and Rick's checking out. Adios. Thanks, Marks. Thank you. Thank you.